Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hi, I'm Rena Nainen, and this is Ask Lisa, the Psychology of Parenting podcast. It's a podcast to help parents better understand their kids. Dr. Lisa Demore, a psychologist with three decades of experience and the author of three New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. Both of us are moms ourselves, and we're eager to hear from you. So send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And you can join our community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The handle is Ask Lisa Podcast. And also subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel, Ask Lisa Podcast. Episode 141, how do I stop riding my kid's emotional roller coaster? So how's the school year treating you? You know, Mina, <laughs> here's the thing. I spend all like early fall thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for the routines to kick in. Mm-hmm. The routines are going to be the thing that holds me together. And then I soon start to feel um, trapped by the routines. Mm. I find them tedious. So I'm, I'm like on the brink of tedium. How about you? Mm, yeah, no, I, I, I totally feel you on that. But what do you... What do you recommend for parents at this point in the school year? I know it's still early, but I'm always like, I wonder what Lisa's doing right now. I think really trying to take a broad perspective on this. I mean, I've got a kid who's now a sophomore in college, you know, and I think it's such a gift as a parent when you have um, seen the full trajectory of kids leaving home. So Mm. I am trying to savor the Mm. um, oppressive routine of having Uh. a school. (laughs) Well, I've got two middle schoolers, so there is a lot of energy around my house right now. And I thought this letter, Lisa, that we got about riding your kid's emotional roller coaster, I thought, isn't it perfect timing right now to be doing this? I want to read it to you. It says, Dear Dr. Lisa and Rena, my middle schooler has emotional swings that I would say are extreme. I often find myself being taken for a ride only to realize later that what might have been at the root of that swing was either not grounded in reality or not as bad as I was led to believe. For example, last year there were many days I would pick her up from school and she would cry and tearfully say how much she hated school and wanted to change schools, only to be followed the next week very calmly to me, quote, why would I move? I'm staying here where I am. She took us on a similar roller coaster ride around to a camp where in the end, she had a great time. I can't figure out how seriously I should take her when she's very emotionally telling me about something, and I do not want to dismiss her moodiness either. What should I do? Moodiness. You know what I loved about this? Like, when should we react and yeah. when should we let it play out and not freak out? Because everything feels 
so urgent to me. So big, so big. Um, and I so feel for this kid and I so feel for this parent because, you know, we're talking about seventh grade, right? She's saying like last year in seventh grade, the kid would get in the car and be like, I can't attend this school another yeah. minute, right? And then yeah. the next week the kid's like, no, it's great. Fine. What are you even talking about? Like, what, why are you worried, right? First but thing I don't just, you yeah. remember seven, like I just I don't know what it is maybe it's the emotions I so remember sixth seventh eighth grade so vividly so I feel for all of these middle schoolers but what do you think a parent should do here Well it is rich and actually I think about seventh grade and oh my gosh how loaded it was and I I'm convinced Rena I learned one thing in the seventh grade and um, it was how to French braid. That's pretty much <laughs> the only. I that's a great skill set to have. I wish I knew that at forty three. It has come in handy as the parent of two daughters who um, who have sometimes like their hair braided. But so I'm like, okay, actually, if I'm going to learn one thing in seventh grade, maybe this is the thing. But it's super rich and it's super raw. And also, what you said about a lot of us have very vivid and sometimes quite uncomfortable memories of our own seventh and eighth grade or middle school years. When your kid starts talking about being upset about what's happening, I think for a lot of parents, it feels like it pokes at an old bruise, right? Mm. So you've got your kid's distress, and then you also have your own memories coming to the fore of like, like I remember, oh, Rena, I, I still feel embarrassed when I think about this. Um, there was this really cool girl in my seventh grade group, or seventh grade class. She was not in my group. And she, and I called her one night, and we talked on the phone. And I came to school the next day and kind of intimated that maybe she had called me, that we had talked and maybe she had called me. And then somehow I was found out that like, Lynn didn't call you, you called Lynn, right? And I was like mortified, you know, that I had like tried to like push up my social status by not being altogether honest about who had called who to chat the night before. I still feel I am Rena, nearly 53 years old. I still feel like so ashamed of my desperate attempts to boost my social oh my status in the seventh grade. So I can see like this hasn't happened yet. It could yet happen if my own kid got in the car and was like, I feel mortified about this, that, or the other. Not only would I be worried for my own kid, if it overlapped with something I had experienced, it would be that much harder to mm. have any sense of perspective. And the magic that we're talking about here that needs to happen is sense of perspective, right? This kid has not. Yeah. And that's what I picked up on what you said was sense of perspective. Because what's typical at this age? Can you walk us through what's going on? And is this normal? This is what's typical. What this letter describes, where an adolescent has an upsetting day or is upset about something. Maybe they actually had a perfectly interesting day with ups and downs, but they get in the car and they're upset about something where the way they describe it, it is huge, it is all-consuming, it lasts forever, it goes a hundred directions in all miles. Um, they cannot take any good comfort, they cannot take any good advice, they um, are sure that it is every bit as horrendous as they imagine it to be, and it always will be. That is typical and incredibly hard on kids and families, but it is actually garden variety, seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, depending on the kid, depending on where they are in puberty. This is standard. Hmm. Do you have any tips? Like you talk about that moment from the seventh grade. Like, Is there anything we can do as parents to make them more resilient so they're more even keeled? Or, or are you just saying, nope, this is how it's going to be? Like, How do we keep them more even keeled? <laughs> I love that question. Um, 
there's two ways to walk up to it. One is that the parent tries to help, and I am sure this parent is trying to help. I think that that's actually the part that's so hard is it's it's one thing for your kid to get in the car and be all upset or to come home and be all upset or get off the bus. It's another thing when you're like, oh my gosh, well, what about this? Or maybe school's not so bad, or maybe we could do this. And usually what ensues is the kid's like, no, you don't get it. It's horrendous. It's irreversibly bad. So one thing we can do is when the teenager eventually or the tween eventually finds their feet again, one thing that a parent can say is, when you are upset like that, what can I do that will help? Right? Because what I was trying was not working. I've also found in those moments, I use this a lot in my own home when a kid is very upset. I will say, is there anything I can do that won't make this worse? You say that? I do say that. And I, I would never talk. think to say that. Okay. Why do you say that? Let me unpack the beauty of this expression, which I actually learned from another clinical colleague. Like, is there anything I can do that won't make this worse? So the first thing is you are being very humble. Like there may be nothing I can do and I am acknowledging that out of the gate. The second thing you are doing is you're actually saying, I can take this. I am not trying to fix this mm. too hard. I, I don't need this to stop. I'm a, I see that it is bad. And I am here as a steady presence, right? That's my favorite phrase in the whole mm. world. Offering just to say, is there anything I can offer that won't actually exacerbate the situation? Mm. So it's a little bit sweet. It's got a little, almost a little lightheartedness in it. But it also gets at one of the concerns that this parent brings across, which is not wanting to seem dismissive, right? So if you say, like, is there anything I can do that won't make this worse? You're not dismissing it at all. You're like, this sucks. I see it. Like, and mm. I'm here for it. Ooh, that's good. Is there anything I can do that won't make this worse? I'm going to borrow that. That's very good. I highly recommend, especially as you know, have two middle schoolers. Yeah. Add this to your um, standard phrases. You're going to need it a lot. I call it Dr. Lisaology. They're <laughs> phrases that you um, say that really are, are, are really help in the moment. Um, so they're, they're high and low, high and low. But you know, in this letter where she's talking about how much she hates school and, and wants to change I felt that in my heart because you know what it's like when yeah. you you dread going to school and I start to think as a parent, oh my gosh, what like are they really down? Like what? Of course we'll change schools. Like if this isn't what how do we not feed into this? So you're right. I mean, like this is about not like overreacting, but it's also about not underreacting, right? Like you're also mm -hmm. saying, like, you're worried about this kid. Like, what if there's something mm -hmm. really going on? So what I would say to a parent, if this is happening, Many days in a row. One day is a Wednesday, as I would say. Like, you know, one a kid having a very hard day like that is just to be expected, especially mm. in middle school. But, you know, this letter also says there was a period of day after day after day where the kid's getting in the car and, you know, feels that she can't return another minute to this building. What I would encourage if the family has feels they can do so in a trustworthy way is reaching out to somebody at the school and just saying, Can I just get a reality check? Because that's the other thing mm. that this letter says is like, it turns out sometimes it's not always grounded in reality, which is like, that's kids sometimes. So it can be really helpful to say like, can I just get a reality check? Like she's coming home saying the whole day stinks. What are you guys seeing at school? And, and you mean talk to teachers? Like who? Talk to you a know teacher or yeah. like a grade level, like advisor or a counselor and just say, could you just like 
give me a little like eyes on, you know, a little like, I wouldn't so much as call it spying, but essentially spying. <laughs> like, And I can promise you, Rena, as someone who spent a lot of time working with and consulting to schools, it's not unusual for the person on the school side to say, I have really good news. I'm actually watching your kids skip down the hall right now. Or <laughs> I was just in the lunchroom and she was having a blast. Or they say, oh, thank you for flagging this. She is seeming low or she is seeming isolated, right? Like, But get more data because you don't really know what's going on. Mm. Lisa, I want to pause and take a quick break. But on the other side of this, I, I want to ask you, when should a parent know that they need to worry? What are the signs? We'll be right back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. I love doing laundry now because of EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze are these eco sheets that look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless, so you don't have that drippy goo from plastic jugs. EarthBreeze is really tough on stains, even odors. And if you've got teens, you know about those odors. Dermatologists tested, hypoallergenic, and also free of bleach, dyes, and parabens. Fragrance-free option is also there for anyone who wants it. So what EarthBreeze did was they got rid of the unnecessary chemicals for a formula that's kind to sensitive skin of all ages, and that includes babies. And I love that I just order online and the shipment comes right to my door when I need it. So right now, our listeners at Ask Lisa can receive 40% off of EarthBreeze. That's right, 40% off just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash Ask Lisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and get your 40% off your subscription. Earthbreeze.com slash AskLisa. Did you know that most bedding is made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, and toxic dyes? Luckily, one company is changing this standard for good. Bolin Branch Sheets, which you know I love, uses the rarest 100% organic cotton that's traceable from family farm to your family home. I have had my Bolin Branch sheets for a while now, and I love them. They feel like butter. In fact, I am so used to them now that when I travel, as I often do for work, I take my Bolin Branch pillowcase with me and I put it on the pillow in the hotel room so I can enjoy that softness, at least on my face, even when I'm not sleeping in my own bed. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code ASKLISA at BolinBranch.com. That's BolinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code ASKLISA. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I got the most amazing pair of boot-cut black work pants that have been a game changer, all thanks to my stylist at Stitch Fix. The stylists understand your style, your size, your budget, and they do all the shopping for you. It took a couple of tries for the stylist and I to really see eye to eye, and once they did, it's such a game changer. I asked for a pair of black pants that make my legs look good, and also would look good with a blouse or a nice top. They really nailed it. And then they found another cardigan for me that really works. I also love that they show you different styles of how you can put these outfits together. I love that it feels like she can read my mind now and we've got a rhythm to where all I do is say I need this type of wardrobe piece and she sends it to me and it fits and it works. Styles that make you feel as good as you look. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash asklisa. That's stitchfix.com slash asklisa. Stitchfix.com slash asklisa.
Welcome back to Ask Lisa, the psychology of parenting. We're talking about teens and tweens and emotional roller coasters and how not to keep riding it and when you can get off and when you need to sort of join them on that journey. Lisa, do you remember, um, I'm sure you remember this, in your book, Under Pressure, one of my favorite moments was you talk about this glitter jar. Mm-hmm. You you got to sort of, can you reshare yes. that moment? This, of is the glitter a, jar? this is a highly glitter jar relevant letter. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So here's the deal on the glitter jar, Rena. Um, I was visiting a phenomenal girls' school in Dallas. It's actually Ursul in Dallas. It's this wonderful girls' school. And I was sitting around with the counselors. Um, maybe we were eating lunch together. And we got talking about kids having meltdowns, like basically what this letter describes, like kids just absolutely falling apart over something. And one of the counselors says to me, she says, well, that's when I get out my glitter jar. And I was like, what? And she goes, oh, I'll go get you one. Okay. But picture all of this in a Dallas accent. It was absolutely fabulous. So she leaves to get the glitter jar and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what is this woman bringing back? And I, I was also, I'm not proud of myself. I was also like, I'm sure it's like, pop psychology. And the other thing is I hate glitter. Like I just hate it. I don't know how, if you have glitter opinions as a mother. Yeah. Well, when you have girls, especially a lot of them are very into glitter, right? It gets everywhere, right? Like I hate it. So I'm already like sitting there like cynical and, you know, kind of hostile to the idea of whatever she's bringing back. So she comes back in and she has a jar that has the lid glued on. It's full of water and it's got about two tablespoons of sparkly purple (laughs) glitter in the bottom. And I'm like still looking at this thing like, I hate it. I hate it. And then she's like, okay, so when a girl comes in my office like that and she's a mess, I do this. And she shakes the glitter jar, like really like a snow globe. And then all of a sudden the glitter's everywhere. You can hardly even see through. You can't see through it. Like it's opaque now. And she puts it down on the desk between us and she says to me, so then I say to the girl, honey, this is your brain right now. (laughs) So the first thing we have to do is settle your glitter. And I'm like, this is brilliant. Genius. Genius. And also, Rena, I have to tell you, a perfect model of the neurology of the adolescent brain. Mm. Like this dopey little glitter jar. Okay, so here's why it is like the brain perfectly captured. So in this juncture, middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and we've talked about this, but you can't talk about this enough. The brain is remodeling. And it's becoming faster and more powerful. And it's remodeling in the order in which it developed, which is from the lower regions back above our neck to the higher regions behind our forehead. The emotions are in the lower region. The ability to maintain perspective about anything is in the higher region. So there is a juncture, and this kid in this letter is like smack dab in the middle of it, when their emotion centers are upgraded and fast and powerful, and their perspective-maintaining systems are not yet upgraded, and so they are comparatively weak. And so something goes wrong, and they have a glitter storm in their brain where all of those glittery emotions take over the whole system, blot out any ability to see any perspective at Mm. all. And they are a mess. Like that, I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Mm. And so the genius, genius, genius of this counselor is that you don't engage. You don't try to fix it with a kid who's in a full glitter storm. And instead you say, like, let's watch your glitter settle. I mean, you can make a glitter jar at home, or I've never been able to bring myself to make a glitter jar, Rena. Like I'm still too much of a glitter snob. <laughs> but I, as a parent, as a clinician, I will say, oh. Do you want some water? 
Do you want me to stay with you while you're upset? Or do you want some time alone? Do you want to take a walk? Like, I am just thinking like, how do we settle the glitter before I engage this at all? So mm. the answer to the question of how do I not get on my kid's emotional roller coaster is you switch to another metaphor, which is you picture a glitter jar and you let the glitter settle. Mm, that is so good. And remind me, what age is it when the full brain is fully developed and we don't have to worry about the glitter jar anymore? Is it like 53? Yeah, you don't want the answer to this question. <laughs> yeah. So it's somewhere around 24 is when oh, the, they're equally matched. But this is a key point because it's not that the brain doesn't work beautifully before 24 like it does. It's just until 24 that relative imbalance is still in place. And of course, this depends on the person and their development. Mm -hmm. And until 24, it's easier under highly emotional conditions for the perspective maintaining systems to be knocked offline. But as I'm trying to juggle work and dinner and the home <laughs> and drop-offs and pickups, and I'm just like, oh my God, really? You're worried about that? And I'm uh, in my mind, I'm being dismissive. I'm like, come on, we've got bigger problems in the world to worry about. How do I as a parent, not be dismissive as they're on this crazy roller coaster and everything is so intense and, and so real and the world is going to end by the end of the hour. I know. It is so hard. And also, you just totally summed it up. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, I remember thinking as a parent, like, you would not believe what I dealt with at work today and you are losing your mind over X, right? I mean, exactly. it's like, it's hard to be empathic. Yes. It's hard to be kind. Okay. So what we want to remember is even if it's – oh, here's a great phrase. I learned this from a middle school director in New York. Um, it's not true, but it's real. Mm. For your kid, it's not true, but it's real. Wow. It's not true, but it's real because then you know it's real in their head and it might not be true to you, but and it, it may matters. not even be true, right? I mean, right. that's the other thing this person's saying is like then you realize it's not even always grounded in reality or the kid says later, school's fine. Mm. It's not true, but it's real. So that's part of how we don't be dismissive is we say that phrase to ourselves. also. It's not true, but it's real. And then we say, is there anything I can do that won't make this worse? Or do you want to take a walk? Or do you want some time to yourself? Or do you want you know, me to make you macaroni and cheese, right? You know, those kinds of things. You let the glitter settle. You see where you're at. Um, but do not engage in earnest when a kid is in a full lather, it will get you nowhere. What do you find in that moment that kids need and want the most? They need a sandbag. A and sandbag. what I mean, yeah, like they are flooded by emotion. I'm just like skipping from one metaphor to another metaphor. I, I love these metaphors. Metaphor. It, it, it resonates with me. It sinks in. This is great. They're flooded. Right? They are flooded by emotion and it's not their fault. It is a neurological vulnerability at this age. What they need is for us to sandbag it, right? Like when you think about there's a flood, you just bring the sandbags and they are inert and they are heavy and they go nowhere and they contain the flood. So that is where, by sandbagging, I mean, that's where you say, is there anything I can do that won't make it worse? You know, do you want to take a walk? What if I go get the dog, right? Like I am just containing, containing, containing. And what I'm not doing is reacting, right? What I'm mm. not doing is actually flooding, getting flooded myself and reacting accordingly, right? Okay. Now, sometimes you will get flooded and that's okay, right? And I don't want people to feel like you have to be like this Zen master parent to deal with your middle mm. schooler. <laughs> but I think the most, most, if we can more of the time try to just be steady, 
think glitter jar, think sandbag, um, know that it's, it's, you know, it's real, even if it's not true, have our empathy there. Kids will get through this. That's so great. When should you know when you need to worry? What are the signs? When is it like, okay, we're on fire here? Yeah, right. Okay. What is typical in the kind of scenario being described here is the kid is, you know, deeply upset. You know, kids will end up in a fetal position on the kitchen floor after a long day of seventh grade. Mm -hmm. What we also expect is that an hour later, they are gleefully doing something or they're, you know, they are now working on their skincare routine. They're in a super great mood. They're listening to music and they don't even remember what they were so upset about. This is what we expect to see. So the roller coaster, as much as it can be kind of a rough one for the parent, the roller coaster is typical and expectable. High highs, low lows, high highs, low lows. So that we actually expect to see. What we don't expect to see is if those roller coaster cars go into a dark tunnel and don't come out. So if the kid is upset after school and upset three hours later and wakes up in the morning upset and then comes home upset and is upset a lot, has very few bright spots, things do not cheer this kid up. If that goes on for a week, it's time to worry. Even fewer. If I mean, parents, if they should trust their instincts. If you're worried about your kid, mm -hmm. ask for help. Um, but we expect highs and lows. We don't expect lows that are uninterrupted in um, kids of any age. Really? So if something goes on, whether you're 82 or 8, you're saying if it goes on for an extended period of days and days and days leading up to maybe a week, that's when you should worry. Yeah. And know, you know your kid. Mm -hmm. Trust your instincts. Um, but with tweens and teenagers, even two or three days down is pretty unusual and, and would start to be a real flag for me. I'll give you another measure of when to worry. And this is really one of my um, favorite definitions in all of psychology. And it comes from Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud's daughter, who worked out a huge amount of the um, theory around child and adolescent development. Hmm. And what she articulated is that it's time to worry if there's an interference with progressive development. And so the way we think about it is it's the job of kids to be growing and changing, right? That, and they're advancing on all sorts of fronts all the time, you know, that they're learning, they're developing as learners, they're developing social skills, they're developing emotion regulation skills, they're developing self-care skills. We expect these to be marching forward as kids grow. Now, they don't all march together at once. <laughs> Sometimes kids lose a little ground. But we worry if there's an interference with this forward march, an interference with progressive development. So the other time I want parents to worry, and this is like just a big, broad generic about all sorts of concerns, worry if your kid is stuck or going backwards socially. Worry if your kid is stuck or going backwards academically. Worry if they're stuck or going backwards in terms of their ability to care for themselves or their ability to manage their emotions. That's actually when we worry about kids is that these things should all be getting better and more mature and more sophisticated with time. If you're not seeing that, it's time to ask for help. But I guess I'm confused because, you know, kids can have difficulty with math or science or reading. Uh, kids can not be able in a moment to deal with an emotion, have a total meltdown, right? Highs and lows, highs and lows. When do I know, okay, this is just a one-off, and what if it happens like every six months, or mm. maybe there's a consistent pattern? Should I then do something about it, or is this just normal you know, development? 
This is why it's so hard with kids, right? Because they actually are kind of all over the map a lot of the time. Um, I remember when I was writing Untangled, um, I divided development into seven tasks the teenagers have to do. And I and I wrote a chapter about each task. And I remember my editor saying to me, now, are these happening in order or are they happening all at once? And I said, <laughs> yes, yes, they are, right? Like <laughs> I sort of laid them out in the order in which they progress, but also, you know, all through adolescence, kids are working on these tasks and making, you know, better and worse progress given it on any given day. What I would say actually takes us full circle if you're not sure that your kid is developing as they should be, ask somebody who really knows and who can give you a good perspective. Teachers know more about what is typical and expectable at any grade level than anybody else. Mm. So this may be your first seventh grader. This is their 500th seventh <laughs> grader. <laughs> and so if you're like, you know, every day I am on his case about this, that, or the other, should I be worried? She'd be like, Oh, no. Or he would be like, oh, no, that is garden variety seventh grade. It's not fun, but it's typical. So you can actually get the perspective of somebody who knows a lot, a lot, a lot about that developmental age. The other thing, and we'll put this in the show notes, there's a beautiful, beautiful book called Yardsticks. And it really lays out the typical and expectable development grade by grade across a lot of the domains I mentioned. Um, it's by a guy named Chip Wood, and we'll put it in the show notes. And it's just a great way if you're like, this seems like I can't tell if this is typical or expectable or not. This book can help you know. Mm, that's great. Um, so big takeaways, Lisa, from this. Uh, there's so much here. But when we're on that emotional roller coaster, what do you think, if there's one thing for parents to keep in mind, what would that be? I would say glitter jar or sandbag. Mm. Like I just, I really, like if, if we have, like, because in those moments we're panicking. It's It's upsetting to have a kid be that upset. So think to yourself, okay, this is a glitter jar that is spinning. Let the glitter settle. And my job is to try to be a sandbag to mix all these metaphors together because this kid is flooded. So how can I be present and steady but not actually add to the level of distress here? Being present and steady without adding to distress. Uh, that's really great. And I have to tell you, we did the glitter jar after I read about that. And the kids were like seven or eight at the time. And it was transformed. Like, like I really felt that was a moment where they understood what was happening in their brain in a way that I could never. And we did it. I actually gave into the glitter in that moment. My son Good and daughter both <laughs> loved it. But I'm wondering if now in middle school, we should have a Saturday morning where we create the glitter jar again and talk about it because uh, I guess it's, it never gets old. You could. You absolutely could. I love it. I love that. Um, great DIY project. And I'm not very big DIYer. Um, so what do you have for us, Lisa, for parenting to go? So for parenting to go, my general policy is that it's not necessary or helpful to talk with teenagers about their own neurological development. I think it can make them feel like, why are you talking about my brain? It makes me feel weird. Um, the exception I have found is around this um, uneven development in terms of the emotions getting upgraded before their perspective maintaining systems have been upgraded. And I have found with middle schoolers, when they are calm, that it is really helpful to explain to them why they sometimes feel so overwhelmed by their own emotions, why this is a temporary problem, it won't last forever, why this wasn't happening when they were a little kid, why it won't happen when they're an adult, but why it's happening now. And on this particular point, I have seen tremendous relief wash over the face of middle schoolers 
because it feels really out of control to them too. And so helping them understand, you know, in those moments, you're kind of at the mercy of your amygdala. Your amygdala will not always exercise so much power. Let um, let it pass. Then look at the system with your perspective back in place and see how bad it looks. See what the situation looks like then. You know what we need? We need like a Mr. Potato Head for the brain, for the <laughs> tween and teen years. Dr. Lisa's Mr. Potato Head brain. If we do merch, Rena, that'll be the first merch. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Lisa, this is great and, and couldn't have been more timely. So thank you, especially this time in the school year. Uh, and next week, we're going to be talking about cars, kids, driving, teens, new drivers, Boy, this is so research-packed. I mean, you're not just talking off the top of your head. You're looking at the statistics. What makes a difference? Everything you need to know about when your kids get their first set of keys. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.